The Viewpoint, 8 to 10 p.m. Flipping conventional wisdom on its head. Songhez Omapete on SAFM. Now at 2 o'clock South African time after our after midday, that is, the world, in fact, was waiting to hear in great anticipation what the ICJ, the International Court of Justice, would rule, albeit as temporary measures in the matter brought by South Africa against Israel. For the record, let me just quickly go through what the provisional measures are as were handed down by the court. The State of Israel shall, in accordance with its obligations under the Convention on the Prevention and Punishment of the Crime of Genocide in relation to Palestinians in Gaza, take all measures within its power to prevent the commission of all acts within the scope of Article 2 of this Convention. In particular, killing members of the group, causing serious bodily or mental harm to members of the group, deliberately inflicting on the group conditions of life calculated to bring about the physical destruction in whole or in part, and finally, imposing measures intended to prevent births within the group. Second, the State of Israel shall ensure with immediate effect that its military does not commit any acts described in point one above. Three, the State of Israel shall take all measures within its power to prevent and punish the direct and public incitement to commit genocide in relation to members of the Palestinian group in the Gaza Strip. Four, the State of Israel shall take immediate and effective measures to enable the provision of urgently needed basic services and humanitarian assistance to address the adverse conditions of life faced by Palestinians in the Gaza. Five, the State of Israel shall take effective measures to prevent the destruction and ensure the prevention of evidence rather, and ensure the preservation of evidence related to allegations of acts within the scope of Article 2 and Article 3 of the Convention on the Prevention and Punishment of the Crime of Genocide against members of the Palestinian group in the Gaza Strip. Five, the State of Israel, sorry, that is six, six, the State of Israel shall submit a report to the court on all measures taken to give effect to this order within one month as from the date of this order. Now, many would say that was a victory for South Africa. Many would say it was a loss for Israel. But more than anything else, it certainly is a victory for peace, international peace and security. Aisha Kaji, good evening, ma'am. Thank you so much for joining us. Welcome to SAFM. Thank you for having me on the show. Okay, from what I've read out, how would you synthesize this? In other words, what can South Africa be pleased with or not pleased with? And what can Israel be pleased with and not pleased with against the orders, the provisional orders as they are from the ICJ? Well, I think first and foremost, uh, you know, it is a huge and definitive win for the South Africans in terms of international diplomacy, in terms of international law, in terms of international humanitarian law. Um, there is no doubt that South Africa has shown that it has both the courage and the chutzpah, if you want to call it that, the yeah. sheer will to go against the major players in the international geopolitical terrain. And it has done that and done so successfully. The ICJ, based on what you've just read out, has made it very, very clear that while the case will take some time to rule on, possibly years to rule on, it believes that South Africa has shown there is a plausible risk of genocide 
in Gaza, and it's plausible that genocide is currently happening. It also cited lots of different statements by senior members of the Israeli government to show that there has certainly plausibly been incitement to genocide and complicity to commit genocide. Those are very important things. So definitely a huge, as I said, diplomatic and international law win for South Africa. However, having said that, it is, on the other hand, a defeat for Israel. Israel tried to argue that there was no dispute between itself and South Africa. So it argued a technicality, which the court threw out. The court ruled that there was certainly legal standing for South Africa to bring such a case as a state's party of the Geneva Convention, that is the Convention on Genocide. And it therefore had the right to do so because any one of the 153 member states are actually by being signatories to that convention, mm -hmm. they have a responsibility to bring uh, to the attention of the court any time they think a genocide is in process or being committed or in danger of being committed. So very, you know, obviously South Africa had a case. South Africa, the ICJ also ruled that there was a dispute. They then went on to state, as I said, instances of incitement and complicity. And then the court went on to provide the urgent provisional measures that you have just read out to us, the six provisional measures. So South Africa asked for nine. They got six. They didn't get exactly what they had asked for, but certainly that ruling that Israel must basically take all steps to prevent the commission of genocide, including incitement to genocide and complicity in genocide is very, very important. So therefore it is a huge geopolitical, international law and international human rights defeat for Israel, which has traditionally relied on its self-made propaganda of being a victim to actually uh, allow the commission of, at the very least, war crimes and ethnic cleansing in both Gaza and the other occupied Palestinian territories, i.e. the West Bank and East Jerusalem, over the past 70-odd years. Where would things have been if October 7 had not happened? I hear the fact that you say Israel are claiming to be the victims here. Yeah? Well, if one looks back to the events of 7 October, and I know we are digressing a bit from the ICJ ruling itself, mm -hmm. but I think nonetheless its import is relevant to where we are now. Absolutely. Could we be where we are if 7 October by Hamas could not have happened or did not happen? I think it is possible we would have reached the stage, though perhaps not as quickly. Because as I mentioned just now, there are certainly instances of war crimes and crimes against humanity and ethnic cleansing already being documented in all of the occupied Palestinian territories, including Gaza, including Gaza, the West Bank and East Jerusalem. Amnesty International and Human Rights Watch are amongst those bodies that had, have submitted evidence of such crimes to, uh, you know, the international legal system. However, they have not or had not at that point reached the stage of being plausibly genocidal. But certainly there was some element of both ethnic cleansing, crimes against humanity, apartheid and war crimes there. Having said that, the events of October 7 were indeed 
grossly horrific, as South Africa itself said in its submissions to the ICJ, and as the ICJ Judge President also mentioned in her report or in her ruling on Friday. So there is no doubt that the events of October 7th were horrific. And it, there is no doubt that it was the largest single loss of lives that um, Israel had suffered since the establishment of the State of Israel in 1948. Again, having said that, the response by Israel and the collective punishment on civilians in the enclave of Gaza, which is essentially an open air prison because it is controlled on all sides by Israel. Access into and out of the enclave even before October 7th has been tightly controlled by Israel. And so your point in this, food, Aisha, is power and water into the enclave is controlled by Israel. Your point essentially from what I gather you saying is despite what happened on the 7th of October, and this is me just summarizing mm -hmm. what you have said, the response yes. has been disproportional. And certainly if Absolutely. the ICJ's ruling is anything to go by, that statement is supported by international law and effectively 15 stroke 16 members of the most esteemed jurors the world has to offer. Now, let's Precisely. talk about the non-legal aspects associated with that for South Africa has put herself now in a position where this, what they have done in relation to bringing the matter before the ICJ, in this mm -hmm. position of having now to maintain the moral authority momentum, if you will, that carries this order and the weight that it has so widely been received positively by, by the international community. Let's digress again. South Africa's position as it pertains to the International Criminal Court, at least from what the statements of the ANC last time out at the policy conference reflect, I think that can is no longer possible right now. Surely South Africa cannot withdraw from the ICC, given what it has been able to achieve and how it has placed itself in international legal, international political matters. And international jurisprudence at the ICJ, sure. I totally agree with you. Yes, absolutely. But remember that the ICC is a different entity Granted. from the ICJ. Granted, but I mean, many people would probably not make that distinction, not that it doesn't exist, but precisely because of what South Africa has been able to do at the ICJ. The reasons mm -hmm. for South Africa's protest of the ICC, the fact that it is actually there to prosecute the global South or the third world, this gives South Africa the momentum to then assume more global positions in advancing why the ICC should have more teeth or its teeth should bite indiscriminately. Absolutely. And to actually then start to institute a system whereby there isn't one set of rules for the global north and another for, for the global south. And this is what South Africa and many other uh, countries in the global south have been saying, that there should not be this double standard. If, for example, you know, Secretary of State, U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken made such a hoo-ha about the um, atrocities committed, and rightfully so, the atro atrocities committed by Russia in the Ukraine less than two years ago, yet cannot actually see that in terms of proportionality and in terms of the number of casualties and the number of injured, etc., far worse has been happening in Gaza over the last 115 days.
In other words, the silence is deafening. Let's go back then Absolutely. to the response. Absolutely, and there's definitely double standards and hypocrisy out there. No, granted, I mean, that's always there. Naledi Pando has been saying it from the very get-go, and well, yes. we'll talk about her in a second if time permits. Israel's response, there was a bit of dumbing, doubling down, at least in part that I could pick up from Benjamin Netanyahu, the Prime Minister. What do you make of his responses, one, two, and what do you make of what will then be contained in that report in 26 or seven days from now, given the fact that that ruling is pretty clear and that report that has to be returned to the ICJ within 30 days of that order has to indicate that those provisional matters, measures, I beg your pardon, are being met or certainly strongly pursued. Does what you hear as Netanyahu's response speak favorably to that those six measures as required by the ACJ will indeed find true expression and commitment in that report? Do you? Well, I, I think we need to take a step back. I think that Israel had two options here. Israel had the option of immediately complying with the provisional measures and withdrawing some of its troops at least from Gaza, allowing in humanitarian aid, etc. Prime Minister Netanyahu's comments have indicated that Israel is not going to take that route, but rather it's going to continue doing what it has been doing with impunity because it has now been exposed as plausibly a genocidal regime. And it's going to continue what it's doing so that it can inflict the maximum number of casualties, not only in Gaza, but also in the West Bank. And it's been doing this over the last few days. Today, Israeli ships fired on civilians in tents in Gaza, who are living huddled in tents in Gaza, apart from the attacks on Khan Yunus, which the Israelis themselves, when they evacuated people from northern Gaza, said would be a safe area. They are flattening the area. Secondly, 12 of Prime Minister Netanyahu's ministers today attended a conference on the resettlement of Gaza and celebrated the future resettlement of Gaza by Israel. If that is not actually implicitly genocidal, I don't know what is. No, well, let's talk to the issues that are at play and certainly stemming from the ICJ's ruling. And I would imagine this is a highly emotive subject for many of us, not least it's not lost on mm-hmm. me that you probably are very much invested in this. In fact, I'm I invested in human rights. I used to run a human rights program which actually had both Israeli and Egyptian lecturers on it. And they, that is to university. be absolutely lauded. That is absolutely to be lauded. So let's take calls in the interest of time and also just to get perspectives perhaps that I might not have canvassed in this conversation. We're taking calls on 86 2032 and we are receiving your WhatsApp either text or voice notes on 0614-104-107. My guest for the record is Miss Aisha Kaji, South African-based consultant on governance, human rights and education issues. In Newlands, let's go to Mike. Mike, good evening. Welcome to SFM again. Yeah, sure. Thanks, and Good evening to your guest. Uh, I have to say, uh, look, I'm no expert in these matters, but what it's a country <laughs> the size of the Kruger National Park has sparked so much hatred is absolutely beyond me. What, uh, 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 well, I know time is limited, but two quick questions. Mm-hmm. First of all, um, since uh, why does Hamas uh, continue to hold the hostages? If they wanted to, uh, the Palestinian people and the Palestinian children which are being so uh, being bombed and shot at now by the Israelis because they use as human shields. Why do they not simply release the hostages? And if they and if they do that, 
and then they wave the white flag for the whole world to see that, that Hamas and the Palestinians want peace. Quite simply, the whole world would rain down on Israel. Israel would be forced to stop. But at the moment, Israel has no choice. The hostages are not being released. Palestinians are being used as human shields. And the billions of rands that the United Nations and all these countries, including America, including South Africa probably, sent to Gaza, which I'm willing to bet from Gaza, up until two months ago, two months ago, 90% of South Africans didn't even know where it was. But we sent all these billions, and what do they do? They build tunnels and they buy rockets so they can start a war with Israel. I don't get it. The country smaller than the Kruger National Park. Israel does not go looking for war. They're not a warfaring nation. I happen to have been there, unlike like so many other critics that seem to think Israel is some sort of mad, uh, war-crazy country. I can assure you it is none of the above. And it is simply a small people, a group of people like Hamas and these guys in Iran. We all know that they are causing this war, and this war is being run from a long way away, and the people of Palestine are the victims. And by the way, how about just having an election there? Wouldn't that be nice? We could actually find out who really runs the show, but I can assure you Hamas has not had an election there. They had one, which they won illegally, and they've never had another one since. And that's for an obvious reason, because they know full well that the people of Palestine would never put up with terrorists, murderers, and rapists like Hamas. Thanks, Sergei. Thank you very much, Mike in Newlands. Yeah, I suppose it was always going to go this route that the ICJ ruling in South Africa's genocide case against Israel, however much one might try to keep it legal, that this is not just a legal matter. It draws on a lot of emotions. There are certainly perspectives and insights that South Africans particularly might draw onto this, given the fact that the rhetoric from South Africa, both before the court and outside the court, it marries what it believes to be an apartheid, and certainly South Africans can and do relate to apartheid. Well, I suppose mm-hmm. there are other concerns that need to be raised as well. The fact that Hamas altogether is not before the course, and despite the fact that the 7th of October did happen, there will then equally so be those who are emotionally invested who would want accountability for those actions that were not the subject of the ICJ hearing a couple of weeks ago. What do you make of Mm -hmm. that and the reality of what pain would be felt on the other side? Um. I'd like to make a couple of comments in response to Mike. Firstly, he has questioned why Hamas has not um, released the hostages. They have released some, but of course not the majority of them. But I think the issue is also the over 5,000 people missing in Gaza, many of them currently believed to be held as hostages by the Israeli state, and the large number of Palestinian children currently in Israeli jails. Hamas has indicated it is willing to talk on these, although I can't really speak to that because that is something that's been brokered by other governments. However, Mike says he hasn't been to Israel. I have. I was there in March, April last year. He says he has. And what I saw there... Aisha, for the record, Mike says he has. has, Well, I can tell you what I saw there mirrored what President Carter, former U.S. President Carter, and former Archbishop Desmond Tutu said. Apartheid definitely exists in Israel, but it is worse, far worse, than anything I actually saw here growing up under an apartheid system, which was bad enough, as you and I both know. Let me then ask this question against the, effectively, the position that Judge Sebutinde uh, took. She is Mm -hmm. categorical in her response that this clearly is not a legal question 
rather a question for politicians and diplomats to have to settle. She did not mince her words about this. She dissented on everything that the majority of the court found because her position is this should not be before the courts. This should be in international diplomacy and at a United Nations level as opposed to... And she to was one dissenting opinion with the exception, of course, of the Israeli ad hoc judge against 15 other international jurists from around the world, all of whom are highly esteemed in their field. No, no, no. There isn't anybody there who isn't esteemed in that field. And she just so happened to have a different opinion. It doesn't yes, make but her she was the there. only one with that opinion, Aisha, is what I'm on. saying. She was the only Aisha. one saying it isn't a legal dispute, it's a political one. Aisha, perhaps I should have said at the yes. beginning, I understand it's emotional, but let's have a conversation about it and let's try not to interrupt yeah, each other so that absolutely. we can get our points across to each other. The point that I'm trying to address is, despite the fact that she is in the minority by 1 to 15, mm-hmm. sometimes 16. You do get a minority judgment that is of a value, for instance, in our mm-hmm. constitutional court. It does set some precedent from time to time a minority judgment because Absolutely. it comes from the constitutional court. Now, I'm saying, does she not have a point? Despite the fact that legally here, she clearly hasn't been proven to have written a good judgment in that regard. But does it take away from what she says that this thing is not going I, to be I settled think given by that, that, the that, that it was such an overwhelming? What does it matter? You know, I mean, if it's overwhelming by I, fifteen no, to one, I, I or think the fact that there was seven. only one dissenting vote is important. But secondly, if you look at Judge Sebatunde's judgments, uh, for example, in the Ukraine case, where with far lower casualty and injury numbers. She voted in favor of the three provisional measures two years ago that the ICJ ruled on uh, in in that case. I think it must be said that Judge Sebatunde's opinion that this is far more a political than a legal case is certainly a minority opinion. And I would question what makes this so different from the Ukraine-Russia case, which is also a heavily politicized one. Let me put it this way. Despite what you have said, can those in international diplomacy, in international peace and security, in the political space, aligned to Israel, aligned to Palestine, not read that Mm -hmm. judgment and actually be like, fair enough, Ultimately, it's not those 15 jurors who are going to ultimately settle that Israeli, Palestinian, specifically Palestinians in Gaza issue. It will require Mm -hmm. participation from Netanyahu. It will require participation from the leadership of Hamas and whoever is in the leadership of the Palestinian Authority. Maybe not Netanyahu, but certainly participation from political leadership in Israel and participation from political leadership in Palestine. Yes, I agree with you. And that's the point that, yes, she might not have come home for the ICJ's provisional ruling judgment, but there is something that potentially can be extracted for the wisdom that it nonetheless carries to say, ultimately, this is a political issue that will need political settlement as opposed to a judgment, which judgment in any event would need the politicians to implement. So why not just altogether get to the bottom into, of it? I have worked quite a lot in the realm of transitional justice. Mm-hmm. I have taught a course on this. I have taught a postgraduate course on politics and genocide. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you that every instance of genocide or ethnic cleansing requires a political solution as well as a legal one. Mm -hmm. 
But that is not to say that in the commission of those crimes, which are very, very serious crimes, which is why they've been taken to the world's highest judicial body, in the commission of those crimes, it is urgent that a legal ruling be given to stop the commission of those crimes in their tracks and to stop further incitement and to also punish and prevent complicity in those crimes. And that is precisely what the ICJ ruling, the provisional ruling on Friday does. It hasn't made a final ruling on whether a genocide is happening. It said there is enough plausibility both in terms of Israel's actions, that a genocide is occurring, and that conditions of life are being caused that are genocidal in that they can wipe out part or whole of the people of Gaza, the Palestinians in Gaza. And it has also, the court has also acceded to South Africa's very important request that evidence not be destroyed, and that a report is presented within 30 days of the ruling. All of these are really important, not only from an international jurisprudence viewpoint, but from the viewpoint that all the signatories to the Geneva Convention have a responsibility to ensure that genocide is not committed and where there is a plausible risk of it occurring, that the countries themselves actually ensure that it doesn't happen and that none of the countries, and this is important in international relations terms as well, that none of the other countries are complicit in the genocide. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, nothing that you say is in dispute here or do I sort of take exception to. But here, here's where I was really going at with my thinking. You mm-hmm. know, and, and I'm reflecting on some of the inspiration and philosophy of Mukweng when he took to the media a couple of years ago in an interview with uh, Vuyom Vogo. He had said, a lot yes. of political questions are incapable of being settled by politicians. That's why a lot of those questions that emanate from the National Assembly make their way to the Constitutional Court. They are political in kind, in character, in content, and in every way conceivable, Mm -hmm. but the political space is incapable, therefore they need an outside arbiter, in this case the judiciary. That's more in line with what I was suggesting. But nonetheless, I do have a couple of calls to get through, and I beg your indulgence. Errol in Durban. And And I totally agree with you that that's why we need the Constitutional Court. Let's take Errol in Durban. Errol, good evening. Good. Can you hear me? Indeed. Uh, Can you hear me? We can, Errol. Okay. You know, the last time I spoke to you was when um, Simbol Neela Kumala was on your show, and she actually sang a bit of the song, you know, The Trees of Africa. I don't know if you remember that. That was a few years ago. Anyway, yeah. Um, If it is true that... um, Hamas are prevent, did prevent a lot of the aid and medicines going through and, did, and used the, the people as human shields. Why didn't the court ask Hamas to prevent from doing these terrible things? And I believe it is true. I mean, Well, the short answer for that is Hamas is not a party before the court. Hamas is not recognized and can never be brought before the ICJ because they are not the body or an entity or a party, whatever the correct legal term is for present purposes, that can be tried or try a matter before the ICJ. That's the only reason. It's not a reflection as to what they have done to either be acceptable or not. That's the short answer to your 
to your remark. I do have a voice right, note as well. 2044 is the time. Good evening, Butsangezo. I don't think uh, the warlord Netanyahu will stop what he's doing in Gaza. He'll continue ignoring that court rule, that court rule on Friday. But I'm afraid uh, the problem I blame UN Security Council and their veto power. These are the people who must be blamed for this because they are watching and looking what is going on there. It seems Netanyahu will continue destroying Gaza. Then I don't know what will happen at the end. Do you have another voice note? We do not. 2044 is the time. Your final response, Aisha. Yes, I think, you know, both two of your callers had made the point that they believe Hamas is using children and civilians as human shields. My response to that is that 27,000 people, close on 27,000 people have been killed, close on 64,000 injuries, including double and triple amputations. Okay, now let's just take the number of children alleged to have been killed thus far, over 10,000. My point is, let's do a simple calculation. Divide 10,000 by 365. If you had to attend a funeral every day for a child who died in the last three months, you would be attending funerals for the next 27 years. That is a hugely devastating figure. Just children. And I will ask once again, how can so many children, neonatals, left to die in hospital, how can they possibly be conceived as human shields? How can this collective punishment over the last 114, 115 days be regarded as an appropriate response to what happened on October 7th? I don't think any humane, human rights-minded person with a conscience can actually say that they would like to attend a funeral for the next 27 days, the funeral of a child, the next 27 years, I'm sorry, the funeral of a child every day. Imagine how devastating that alone is to the people of Gaza. Yeah, well, let's leave it there. I can say no more or less, but the reality is in a, just over three weeks from now, Israel will have to convince the ICJ that its order means something, and it's not just the ICJ that they'll have to convince. They'll have to convince the international community that, indeed, they are making strides, as they say they have been, to, one, make sure they are pursuing peace. And, of course, they were not um, required to stop what it is that they are doing. They were just required to do it in a way that is in line with those six provisional measures. Now, Lady Pando, of course, does confirm that if those provisional orders are indeed met, the effect of that will be a ceasefire. The only thing I Absolutely. can say is time will tell. Thank you so much for your time, Ms. Aisha Kaji. Thank South you African for having me on. consultant on governance, human rights, and education issues. The time is 2047. Let's continue after this break with Professor Shakila Singh.